You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Do all roads lead to Rome? Well, that's the saying. But do all roads or all churches lead to God? How does one come to an understanding of God? Are there multiple roads to God, each acceptable in their own way? Or is God looking for something more specific from all his followers? Well, this episode brought to you by the Bible Basics webinar team. Um, at the Hamilton Book Road Ecclesia in Canada. Look into this subject now for us. Um, It's a 20-minute episode, so not too long. Um, But it provides a valuable insight, so I hope you enjoy it. Until next time, God bless. As you can see on our screen before us, and as we sort of alluded to our intro video, our topic of discussion this week is not all roads lead to Rome or to God. And concisely on the screen before us, we have the question, do all roads lead to God? Well, as we mentioned in our intro video, really the origin behind this proverb is from this Latin or translated from Latin sentence, a thousand roads lead men forever to Rome. And this is from the pen of French theologian and poet, Alain de Lille. And it's a really puzzling question. And I think throughout time, as the saying has continued to morph and change and really come into the English language, it sort of simplified the proverb a little more. And now and today we have the saying that all roads lead to Rome. And of course, as we mentioned, the historical context to this is attributed to this monument this it is called the Malorium Orum and on the left there of your screen you can see a recreation and a redetailing of what this monument looked like and on the right we have a symbol of what it likely looked like in the city of Rome it was erected by Emperor Caesar Augustus and it was meant to be a central focal point in the city of ancient Rome that from this one central point all the ideas and roads the language the customs would radiate out from the center of Rome. And that no matter where you went in the Roman Empire, you could trace your way back to the capital, to Rome. It really united and unified the country as a whole. But the proverb today has sort of come to mean a little bit of a different thing. The proverb today has come to mean that there's many different ways or routes that we can arrive at a conclusion or a reasoning And the proverb has been applied in a whole multitude of different fields. I mean, in the field of mathematics, we can see it applied in the way that there's so many different ways that you can write like equations or you can resolve proofs. There's so many different ways to come to the same conclusion. In the field of engineering, there's so many different ways that you can use different materials or features of design to build a sufficiently strong machine. Whether we're in the field of engineering, mathematics, or language, or even religion these days, this proverb is applied knowingly and sometimes unknowingly as well. So what about the field of religion 
Well, in religion, it's sort of come to be portrayed through a slightly different metaphor. And that's all the world's religions are different roads up the same mountain. And the religious author, Huston Smith, he said, it's possible to climb life's mountain from any side. But when the top is reached, the trails converge. Was there any logic behind this sentence? Is there any truth behind this saying? Do all roads, all paths up this mountain, all religions, as it were, lead to the top? Are all religions essentially one and the same? They're just different ways of getting to the same conclusion. And for you and I, do all religions lead to God? Well, of course, this is Bible Basics webinar. So let's dive into the Bible to see if there's any proof behind this idea that all roads really lead to God. And we want to look at a few different examples from the Bible to consider this. And we're primarily going to focus on some Old Testament examples. We're going to come to the New Testament at the end. And Dan's going to share some cool verses from the New Testament primarily that really bring in this principle. So what's our first example? Our first example is in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, where all good foundations in the Bible start. And our first example is in the life of the man Abram, or perhaps you know him more as Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, we have an early biblical example of a man and his family being asked to leave behind the worship of many gods and to worship one God in particular. Well, in Genesis chapter 11, we're told that Abram was from Ur of the Chaldees. Now, the city of Ur was wholly dedicated to the worship of the moon god, the Mesopotamian god, Nana. And there in that city was a great ziggurat, a temple-like structure as we see a recreation of what it might have looked like in the city of Ur. And it dominated the city horizon. No matter where you were in the city, you could look over and see this giant temple reminding you of the Mesopotamian gods that they worshipped there. Now, Nana was a supreme god of the Mesopotamians and a god of fertility. Well, surely if all roads lead to God, well, wouldn't worshipping this god be as good as worshipping any other deity? Well, not according to the God of the Bible. You see, God, or the Lord in all caps there, or Yahweh as his name is in the Hebrew, he told Abram and his family to leave all this behind. He says, get thee out from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. The Lord here tells Abram to leave his family if they won't come with him to leave the land. He was to leave all these Mesopotamian gods behind and seek to worship after this one God to obey him alone. Well, in verse four there, we see that Abram obeyed the Lord. He left all this behind. He left the worship of these Mesopotamian gods behind and worshiped this one God alone. And well, God blessed Abram. He became a mighty nation and his wife, Sarai, she who was barren in the city of Ur, even as they worshipped the supposed god of fertility. Well, when they left Ur and they traveled to this land that the Lord promised, she was given a child at the age of 90 years old. They left behind a pantheon of gods and chose to worship one god, 
and while they were blessed because of their faithful actions. And really, Abram's example shows us the importance and really the blessings that can come upon us from worshiping the one true God. But another question you might be asking is, does it matter how we worship him? You know, shouldn't it just matter that we worship him alone? Well, our second example seems to point out that no, this isn't the case. It also matters how we worship. We're going to jump back a few chapters now to Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to the sons of Adam and Eve. These are Cain and Abel. Now, following their expulsion from the Garden of Eden for eating of the fruit of the, the eating of the tree of the fruit of knowledge and good and evil, Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden. And outside of the garden, they continue to try to worship the Lord God properly. And this involved offering sacrifices, just like they were told in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 4, we're told of the time when now Cain and Abel are bringing their own sacrifices before the Lord. It's time for them to either commit or not commit to this worship. And in, this, in these verses, we read that both sons bring of the fruit of their labors. Cain was a tiller of the ground, and he brought crops. Abel was a shepherd, and he brought of the firstlings of his flock. Both sons brought something that would have required a great amount of time to produce, either the fruit of the ground or to raise up livestock. But only one of these sons was following the precedent set out in Genesis chapter 3. Only Abel brought an animal sacrifice. You see, Cain sought to worship God his way. And well, here we read of the Lord's response to both offerings. There in the blue text, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. You see, Cain knew that he should have brought an animal sacrifice, but he chose to worship his own way. And God did not appreciate that. It displeased God. He had no respect unto this offering. And really what this example shows us is that we can choose to worship God however we want. But that doesn't mean that God is going to be pleased if we worship him not according to his ways. If we choose to worship him our own way, and it goes against the way that he has asked to be worshipped, well, then he will have no respect to our offerings and worship. And so it matters not only who we worship, but how we worship. And for our third example, we want to move along a little bit further in the Old Testament. We're coming now to the, the time of the kings of Israel. In, King, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're in the reign of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now, these were two of the most wicked kings and queens of the nation of Israel. And they worshipped the gods of Baal and Ashtaroth. And they encouraged the entire nation of Israel to worship these gods with them. In fact, they had utterly displaced the true worship of the God of Israel, Yahweh. There was just a handful of people that, that still worshipped him throughout the nation. And because of this choice to worship these other gods, well, the God of Israel had brought a drought upon the nation of Israel. And in a final effort to convince the people of their folly, God sent one of his prophets, Elijah, 
a man of God, to put a challenge to the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, to put forth a challenge to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Well, what was his challenge? Well, he challenged them to prove the existence of their gods. He said, we'll go up to Mount Carmel, and whichever God can send forth fire from heaven and consume a sacrifice, they will be the one true God, the only God to be worshipped in Israel. Well, to Mount Carmel they went. Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Ashtoreth, actually, they never showed up. That's how much faith they put in their God. Well, on Mount Carmel, they begin to set up their sacrifices. And Elijah, ever sporting, he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. They call upon their God. They cry out to Baal, the God of lightning and rain, to send forth a bolt of lightning to ignite the sacrifice. They don't get a single response. The God of lightning and rain was unable to light the sacrifice, just like he had been able to bring forth rain for three and a half years. But you know, this initial failure doesn't stop the prophets of Baal. They continue. They cry out to their God. They're leaping and they're dancing. They're cutting themselves with sacrificial knives. They cry out for hours and hours. And yet to no avail. And finally, Elijah steps in. At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah begins to prepare his sacrifice. And after fully soaking his offering, making sure that there's no trickery involved here, Elijah cries out these few words before us. He cries out to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known that this day that thou art God in Israel. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. He wanted the whole nation to know that this was the God of Israel. And immediately upon giving this prayer, fire from the Lord fell. And the response from the people was immediate. They cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What an amazing scene here on Mount Carmel. When the nation of Israel recognizes that there's only one God. You know, no doubt both the prophets of Baal and, of, and Elijah were both sincere in their worship. Both of them had came to the challenge. Both of them built altars. Both of them prepared sacrifices. Both of them cried out to their God. Both of them actually got a response, didn't they? You see, the prophets of Baal, they got silence. Elijah got fire from heaven that consumed the sacrifice. And in that one day, the Lord God of Israel was declared the one true God, the only God. And this example is amazing because it not only highlights the importance of worship, but it shows that just being sincere in what we worship, if our sincerity is misguided, well, it's not enough. We have to make sure that we are not only sincere, but that we're worshiping the right thing. And friends, all throughout the Bible, we see examples like this from the Old Testament, from the New Testament. We see that our worship not only has to be directed to the one true God, but it also has to be sincere and according to his ways. And the world around us is constantly telling us that we need to worship different things. And oftentimes they're not talking about idols, at least not the way that the prophets of Baal saw them. 
but they're really focused on worshiping ourselves. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about humanism, really, when we think about it. And so we need to weigh these things against what the Bible tells us. We need to follow the example of the believers in Acts chapter 17. And we come back to this verse a lot in these webinars because they show us a perfect example of what we need to do as Bible students. They received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They didn't receive the preaching and teaching at face value. No, they took it to the Bible. They checked their passages to see if what Paul and the other apostles were teaching was actually found in the Bible. And when it was confirmed, many of them believed. And so we too need to follow this example. Whenever we're told of new things, we need to compare them against the Bible to see whether they are really found therein or not. Well, does it really matter what we believe? Do all roads lead to God? Well, just a few examples. Hopefully we've seen that truly it does matter what we believe. But as we conclude our section here tonight, looking at all roads leading to Rome or God or not, we want to look at a final example from the New Testament, from the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says the following. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And so in the short little parable, the Lord Jesus Christ really sums up all people who have ever existed. All people from the beginning of time follow into one of these two ways. We either enter at the wide gate, which leads along that broad way, or we enter in at the straight gate which leads along a narrow way. Now, the former way of life, it's easy, it's broad, it's open, it's wide. There's plenty of room for everyone who wants to come in. It's inviting. But the second way is a narrow way. It's a little bit tiring. It's rough. It's a little constricted. It can be uncomfortable at times. It doesn't look quite so inviting. But as Jesus says there, the end thereof leadeth unto life. And in our modern age, we can recognize that not all roads actually lead to Rome. But it's also true that not all roads lead to God. In fact, friends, only one road actually does. And Jesus describes that road here as the straight and narrow way. And in Luke chapter 13, when Jesus expands upon this idea, he highlights that there are going to be so many people who seek to enter into this gate. But unfortunately, they're not going to find it. Because to enter into this gate, we need to strive. We need to put in effort to find it out. And once we find it, it will take some effort to walk down this road. It's not going to be an easy path, not as easy as the Broadway. But the end thereof is life. Now, what is this one way? Well, Jesus explained further. He says, I am the way in John 14, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the father, but by me. 
And so the only way we can get on this straight and narrow path, the only way we can come to the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. And we can begin this journey by believing the things written in this Bible, this inspired word of God, and by entering into the waters of baptism, a topic that we covered just a few weeks ago, and by committing our lives to following after the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to be an easy walk, friends. It's a narrow way, but the end thereof is life. Now, the question is for you and I, which road will we choose to walk? If you found this video helpful, then make sure to go to our website to find other Bible study materials. And also don't forget to take the quiz by using the link down below. If you take enough quizzes, you'll earn some awesome rewards as well as some very useful Bible study tools. We at Bible Basics Webinar also specialize in individual and small group Bible studies. You can text us by using the phone number that's also down in the description, as well as our email to get more information about our Zoom and in-person classes. And of course, thank you so much for watching Bible Basics Webinar, where we use the Bible to learn about God. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.